When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC Football Podcast. My name is Joey Weaver, joined tonight by Mr. Mike McDaniel. Mike, we talked a couple weeks ago, we can't be doing this whole fall weddings thing, because when people schedule weddings in the fall, that's when stuff gets real weird, and Boston College won a conference game this weekend. That feels like we could do like a whole podcast in its own about just that. Miracles do happen, Joey, and of course it had to be the week that I, you know, wrote that BC wouldn't win a conference game, and this would be a second year in a row they wouldn't do so, so of course they had to go ahead and beat NC State, which made absolutely zero sense, but uh, good for BC getting a conference win. Look at Steve Adazio go here trying to save his job. Eagles out there just being dudes and, you know, getting on the getting on the scoreboard there in the win column. Guys being dudes, Joey. Uh, absolutely. All right, we gotta, so we'll get to that here in a little while, uh, but we're going to do this Week 9 recap here. Uh, so we've got to start out with the marquee matchup of the weekend. That was the Clemson Tigers on the road getting the win 37-34 over the Florida State Seminoles. Not without its share of, uh, of controversy, we'll say. Jimbo Fisher very, very unhappy with some of the calls made by officials. He has since paid for that. Uh, with uh, Well, he was fined, what, like $20,000 for just a total meltdown over the officials? Yep, twenty grand. Yeah, that's a pretty penny. Um, yeah, so that happened. Uh, Clemson started off well, struggled in the middle, and then right around the time that I tweeted something about Deshaun Watson not being as good this year, he got really good at the end, and Clemson was able to pull out a big win. Uh, huge game from Dalvin Cook. Uh, another really big game from him. He looks healthy, and he looks really good right now. Overall, this is a great game. It, it sucks that somebody's got to come out the loser, um, but... Excellent game by both teams, and uh, t- another tough loss for Florida State here. Yeah, um, you know, even in the loss, I think Dalvin Cook definitely inserted himself back in the Heisman race. I mean, I think we can argue that, you know, it's really Lamar Jackson and everybody else, and we'll get into Louisville here in a bit, but um, it, it's been that way for quite some time. But I think if, you know, going for the rest of the list right now, as it stands here heading into November, from like two through five in the Heisman race. I mean, I think Dalvin Cook's as good a candidate as anybody right now, especially with the way that he ran against Clemson. Uh, he, he was a big reason why Florida State was able to stay in the game because, once again, that Florida State offensive line really struggled in pass protection for DeAndre Francois. Uh, Clemson's pass rush was really good, um, you know, once again. And, you know, even though they gave up 34 points in this game, the defense definitely, you know, lived up to the hype when it came to pressuring Francois, and I thought Francois hung in there and, and played one of his better games of the season, uh, despite taking all the shots that he took, kind of took a lot of courage for him to hang in there the way that he did. Um, as far as the Jimbo Fisher comments and, you know, everything that he said in the post game about, you know, the referees needing to have some courage and, you know, making better calls there on the field, and he was referring to that block below the waist on the long, the long run for Dalvin Cook that got called back. I mean, look, this is... I mean, he had a right to complain, obviously, uh, the way that he complained and 
what he was saying, you know, telling the ref to basically go screw on the sideline. I mean, you can't really do that on national TV. So the ACC acted appropriately in finding him. Uh, that's something that obviously a conference would rather handle in-house. But, um, yeah, yeah, I mean, I think it's a tale of two halves getting back to Clemson. You know, Deshaun Watson for the better part of the first half played extremely well, but he really struggled there at the middle part of the game. I'd say probably the last probably, what do you think, like five or six minutes of the second quarter to maybe – like the eight-minute mark of the fourth quarter. He was really having a hard time, but he got going there in the fourth quarter when the Tigers needed him the most. And, you know, I think if he performed, you know, throughout the entire game like he performed, you know, for the first quarter and a half, I think Clemson would have been in really, really good shape in this game. I mean, they were going right up right up and down the field on Florida State, and the Seminoles' defense was having a lot of trouble stopping him in that offense there early in the game. Um, I thought Wayne Gallman, of course, ran hard, had a couple touchdowns there. Good to have him back after his concussion he suffered a couple weeks ago. So, you know, when Clemson establishes a run game, it really opens up things in the passing game for uh, for Deshaun Watson. And um, I, I think that made a bigger impact than it may have seemed in this game, even though, you know, Wayne Gallman, from a yardage perspective, didn't make the impact that he's made in other games this year. So getting Wayne Gallman going, uh, Deshaun Watson obviously coming through uh, when, when the game was on the line, I think that has a lot to do with it, having a veteran quarterback like him and, Ultimately, I think just the Clemson defense was a little bit too much for Florida State, even though at times it seemed like Florida State was going to take control of the game there, especially in the second half. So a really good win for Clemson. They now arguably have the best resume in the country. It may not be the best team in the country right now. I think we can all say that right now Alabama is the nation's best team, but Clemson probably has the best resume now with a victory over Louisville and then road at home and then road wins now at Florida State and at Auburn, uh, two teams that were in the top 15, or um, in Florida State's case was in the top 15 and Auburn's case is in the top 15 now. So those are two really good wins to their credit. And then, of course, the home win against Louisville, who's the top 10 team here uh, in the country um, heading into week number 10. You know, one thing you mentioned in there about DeAndre Francois really sticking in there that was as gutsy a performance as we've seen. I mean, there was a point in the fourth quarter when he had to come off the field and was really just not doing well. He he got blown up in this game, six sacks, uh, and he was hit several more times by a very aggressive and, and dangerous Clemson defensive front. Um, and he kept coming. Uh, it was one of these where it feels like, you know, maybe Clemson's defense shows up thinking nothing of him. And even after they, you know, beat the tar out of him all game, like they can't help but have some respect for him leaving. So uh, that was an extremely gutsy effort from Francois. Required a lot of toughness. Dalvin Cook, again, 169 and four touchdowns on the ground against a very sound and and disciplined Clemson defense. Um, that That's nothing to shake a stick at either. That's, that's a really excellent performance and, and some of the best we've seen against Clemson all year. Um, but yeah, like you said, I mean, Deshaun Watson really struggled through the middle part of this game and it felt like the last 10 minutes or so is when he really, really turned it on. Um, I, I can look at it here. So I guess they got the, they got the ball back right before the start of the fourth quarter and their last three drives went 10 plays, 75 yards, touchdown, eight plays, 23 yards, field goal, five plays, 75 yards, touchdown. Um, that's a strong finish to the game and when it really counts, I mean, at the start of that sequence, they were down 28-20, and they ended up putting 17 points on the board to win in the fourth quarter. So, yeah, uh, ends up kind of looking like a big night from Watson. Was really rough through the middle of it. Uh, one of the things I was looking at was 
we could look at all of last year, and I think Deshaun Watson only had 13 interceptions. I'm pulling it up now. Um, and that was through 15 games, if you include all the playoff games, everything like that. Uh, yes, 13 interceptions last year. We're through eight games this year, and Deshaun Watson's already thrown 10 picks. Uh, that's that's not a good trend, and it seemed at times like he's maybe not himself as much as we can say, oh, yeah, like we know exactly who Deshaun Watson is based on one season of sample size. Um, but still, I mean, we had very high expectations for Watson coming into the year, and we've seen f- flashes of what he can do and what we're used to seeing last year, but it really hasn't been as consistent as maybe we were expecting here, Mike. And the offense hasn't been really as consistent either as a whole. And I think, you know, it starts and ends with Sean Watson. Uh, re- really, for Wayne Gallman, I think he's probably had a better year, you know, for all the carries that he's gotten. I mean, this offense, it just hasn't really been the same. I can't really put my finger on it because I think the athletes they have, especially when you consider the return of Mike Williams, I mean, they're returning a lot of their big-time playmakers from last year. I mean, essentially every player that really mattered on that offense is back, and they don't really have the same. It's just not really bringing the same results, and it's it's interesting. But, you know, I think Clemson, with their defense, I mean, I think it requires their defense to play even better than they have in recent years, and I'm not sure if it necessarily reflects that statistically, but... I, th- I think when you consider the offense and defense and the way the both units have been playing, I mean, Clemson has been able to gut out wins, and you can kind of draw the parallel between Clemson and Ohio State. I mean, Ohio State last year was kind of doing the same thing against, you know, lesser lesser teams. I mean, Clemson has, now has wins, like I mentioned, against Auburn, Florida State, and Louisville, of course, and Ohio State was struggling against the lesser teams in the conference, and we haven't really seen that from Clemson yet. I mean, yeah, they struggled against Troy in an out-of-conference game, but really within the conference, they haven't really struggled all that much except for that NC State game when Deshaun Watson turned the ball over a ton. So uh, besides that one aberration, um, they pulled away from Troy late. Besides the aberration against NC State, they haven't really been a team that's struggled a ton against opposition that's completely and totally inferior like Ohio State kind of was last year so a lot of people are making that comparison but I think I think Clemson has really kind of gotten it together um, and, and even in this game against a really good Florida State game uh, Florida State team they found a way to win that game late and I think that's important for the confidence of Clemson moving forward knowing that they are one of the two or three best teams in the country right now yeah I don't know it's it still feels like they've, they've shown up for a couple of really big-time games, um, but they've kind of struggled at times in between. So I don't know. I'm, I'm curious to see if they can keep that up. I mean, turning it on kind of selectively like that, um, I don't know. Only other thing here that I wanted to bring up, Mike, was that this leaves Florida State now with three conference losses on the year, uh, obviously now to Louisville, Clemson, and, of course, North Carolina. And this is something we talked about a little bit before the year started was that Florida State could be really good and yet lose three or four games just because of a really tough schedule. Um, they've had some growing pains with DeAndre Francois and such, and uh, as good as they've been, they've still found a way to lose three games, and that's, you know, not maybe not to be expected, but it's totally conceivable on how that happens. So curious to see if they can finish out and, and win, win out to kind of stay at that 9-3 and three level and, and make a solid bowl game, but uh, we'll see. 
There's also kind of some convenient Jimbo Fisher to LSU rumors starting to swirl, so that's something to keep an eye on as of well. Of course, because the team is struggling more than a lot of people expected, so naturally he's now going to leave for another job. <laughs> the timing that's, is just interesting. That's sound hiring strategy. I'll oh, take yeah. that. Yep. Clemson 37, Florida State 34. Moving on, your Virginia Tech Hokies, Mike, 39, Pittsburgh 36. This was an extremely close game on the road that really had no business being close. Um, Virginia Tech, my goodness, they, they like – it's like they couldn't finish a drive to save their lives. I mean, Cody Slife sets a – I think an ACC record kicking six field goals in this game. Um, and And – in the first quarter, the Hokies went up. What was it? Nine to three, or no, no, nine to seven. And Cody Sly had kicked three field goals inside of thirty-one yards. I mean, so you start doing some math, and you figure they were within about fifteen yards of the goal line. Just kept having to kick field goals. Um, so a three-point win for the Hokies. It feels like it should have been about a three-touchdown win here, Mike. Yeah, so Joey Sly kicks six field goals, uh, six for six on the game. He ties an ACC record, um, and, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, congratulations, Sly, you know, you tied the ACC record. That's really good. Well, you know, it's it's not good, though, because you're in the red zone that many times you have to convert. This is a game where Virginia Tech scored 39 points, and it really felt like they should have been in the mid-60s. And I know that's really easy to say in hindsight because, you know, you're like, okay, well, you know, my team should have scored X amount of points. But, I mean, they were inside the 10 three different times and had to settle for field goals. And that's a situation with play calling there for uh, Virginia Tech. It really needs to improve, but um, specifically in the red zone. But uh, when looking at the Hokies, you know, Gerard Evans had a pretty solid game. 24-40 for 406 and two touchdowns. Uh, that seems pretty good. It's, it was really, really good. Um, the, the running game kind of struggled. Um they had 150 yards rushing between three, six, seven ball, seven different ball carriers. Um, I think the story of this game was the receiving core. Uh, if you had to pick kind of one spot, Virginia Tech had a school record. They had three receivers over 100 yards in this game. Uh, Bucky Hodges, six catches for 145 yards. Isaiah Ford, with his uh, school record 24th touchdown reception, he had 10 catches for 143 yards and a touchdown. And Cam Phillips had six catches for 109 yards. So. Uh, three receivers for the Hokies over 100 yards. That was a big deal. But I think a bigger deal in this game was Brendan Motley coming in for Gerard Evans when he got hurt. Uh, Evans sprained an ankle. He's been dealing with ankle injuries for most of the season. Um, he rolled an ankle against East Carolina. That's kind of where his first cropped up, and he's kind of been struggling there ever since. But I think what's really important here is that for Brendan Motley to come in really off the bench and um, with, with Evans kind of going out of the game at a really crucial time to have Brendan Motley come in the game and they didn't really finish the drive with a touchdown but he was able to get them in the field goal range he threw a beautiful ball to uh, Bucky Hodges in the end zone um, a game in which or uh, a play there in which Hodges was interfered with which was the case across the board no matter what team um, was on the field it seemed like receivers were getting interfered with all night whether it was Virginia Tech or Pittsburgh wide receivers but Hodges was getting interfered with but Motley threw a ball right on the money in the end zone, hit him right in the hands, and Hodges couldn't pull it in, but they settled for a field goal there. I thought that was huge because obviously the three points decided the game, but 
Also, on the final drive, Virginia Tech was trying to get a first down and run the clock out, and Motley had a couple quarterback draws to get them to a third manageable situation. I think it was third, about two and a half, and they handed the ball to Cam Phillips, who got the first down, ended up running the clock out. So, Brendan Motley at the quarterback position, you know, a lot could be said about a guy who's a redshirt senior and who's more than willing to, you know, take a backup role there, a quarterback, and do everything the team has asked of him. And that's exactly what he did in this game. He ended up coming in and proving to be a big part in the victory. So not the best game for Virginia Tech's defense, obviously, but I thought the offense played well. If you're Pittsburgh, obviously you hang your hat on James Conner. I was a little bit surprised that Pat Narduzzi didn't run him a little bit more because Virginia Tech simply couldn't stop Conner. 19 carries, 141 yards, and three touchdowns. He was pretty much your only source of offense because Nate Peterman, uh, despite throwing for 267 yards, he really struggled throwing the football in this game. Um, especially was, early. Especially early. I mean, a lot of the yards and completions kind of came in, uh, came later in the game. I mean, it came in lower leverage situations where he started accumulating those yards. So, you know, I thought Peterman could have played a lot better. And, you know, I especially since what we've seen this year out of Nate Peterman is he's kind of excelled when James Conner has gotten going, and they got James Conner going in this game, and Peterman still struggled. So I think it's a testament, A, to the Virginia Tech defense, but B, you know, Nate Peterman being kind of the game manager role that he's kind of taken on. He needs to make um, some better decisions here throwing the football. He only had one interception in this game, but there are a couple of different passes that definitely could have been picked off um, that I, I think really killed some drives for Pittsburgh. So... Um, obviously not really having a deep threat in the offense right now. They miss a guy like Tyler Boyd that they had a year ago, but Pittsburgh's offense is still pretty explosive. I mean, they were able to get some big plays on Virginia Tech's defense to keep them in the game. So overall, um, I thought it was a good win for Virginia Tech. I do. I, I came away impressed with Pittsburgh because the chips were stacked against them multiple times in this game. They kept coming back and, and finding a way to score points, and James Conner was obviously a big part of that. So I think – Pittsburgh has a lot to look forward to here um, moving forward throughout the rest of the season, but uh, it was a really good win for Virginia Tech to kind of exercise their demons there at Heinz Field, pick up their first win in that stadium ever. So um, for Virginia Tech, having two losses now, um, being able to get that win and stay in control of the Coastal, it was huge for them. In a weird way, this feels like a game that Pittsburgh almost should have won. Um, so consider this. So early in the game, Pittsburgh was really sloppy. So... Virginia Tech takes the opening kickoff, uh, drives down the field, kicks field goal. They're up 3-0. They kick off to Pittsburgh, and Quadri Henderson fumbles. And Virginia Tech recovers you know, recovers that one, kicks another field goal. Pittsburgh gets the ball back, doesn't even get a first down, throws an interception. So now they've, they've gotten the ball twice, and they've turned it over both times without really accomplishing anything. Third drive, three and out. Fourth drive, they get one first down, and they punt. So Pittsburgh accomplished nothing with their first four drives. They turned it over twice. It was awful. And they were down 9 nothing because Virginia Tech kept kicking sub-30-yard field goals. Um, and so from that standpoint, I mean, Pittsburgh was able to kind of keep pace. Really, it should have been out of, out of reach basically by halftime if you're Virginia Tech, but yeah, some good stuff. Obviously, James Conner, like you mentioned, big game. Um, Nate Peterman, not great at a lot of times. He got better as the game went on. But um, overall, I mean, it's good for Virginia Tech, like you said, to kind of exercise their demons, go into a stadium where they've had no no luck at all and, and get a win. Big day from Gerard Evans, even with the, the injury. Uh, 
24 of 40 for 406, two touchdowns, no picks. That's that's great. I'll take that any time. Um, this seems pretty typical of the Pittsburgh defense that uh, Virginia Tech really struggled to get a whole lot going on the ground and then torched them through the air. Um, that's that's pretty par for the course for what we've seen. So it's a little bit of like a I don't know what we should have expected kind of thing. But yeah, I think this cements Virginia Tech. I mean, they're clearly in the driver's seat in the coastal. They're they're getting pretty close to locking the thing up. Um, they do have to be careful, though, if there's any slip-ups. Uh, North Carolina's right there and, and able to take advantage here. Uh, the Virginia Tech teams are pros at slipping up um, in games that they <laughs> should win, so I think this thing's far from over despite hey, the... Syracuse? Yeah, no kidding. Um, the, you know, despite Virginia Tech being in good position with the remaining ACC schedule that they have, um, uh, they're better than the three remaining ACC foes on their schedule. Uh, they get two out of the three remaining teams at home. They do have a road game to Notre Dame, kind of sandwiched in the middle there, which really has no impact on um, their status in the ACC, obviously. It has more of an impact on what kind of bowl game they go to at the end of the year if they were to lose that game. Um, but, you know, for Virginia Tech, uh, they're in the driver's seat. They just need to avoid slip-ups here down the stretch. Hokies 39, Pittsburgh 36. Mike, you had two winning teams this weekend. Your Notre Dame Fighting Irish got back in the win column. Haven't been able to say that much. <laughs> with a big old thirty to twenty-seven win over Cam Underwood's Miami Hurricanes, uh, man, this is starting to get real ugly for Miami. Um, this is a game that they sh- really should have gotten right here, and instead they gave up five sacks to a Notre Dame defense that has shown no capacity for rushing the passer this year. Um, they just, I mean, you can't run the ball against a Notre Dame defense that's been not, unable to stop the run this year. Uh, 35 carries for 18 yards, or if you take out the sack yardage, still only comes out to, what, 55 yards or something like that? I mean, this was a bit of a clunker from Miami at a, at a poor time, at a time when they needed to get right. And things seem to be spiraling pretty quickly for the Hurricanes here, Mike. Notre Dame's defense has actually performed pretty well the last three or four games. Um, I believe it's only 13.5 points per game their defense has actually given up. The whole issue is that the special teams for Notre Dame has been so bad. They've given up so many um, big-time plays in the return game that um, you know teams are scoring more points against them than they probably should be but the defense has actually really improved um, I, I was impressed with how they played especially in the first half against Miami of course Notre Dame jumps out to a three touchdown lead they did all sorts of different different things on special teams to let Miami back into this thing but um, I was impressed with Notre Dame as far as Miami is concerned their offensive line is so bad I mean we're getting back onto the level of how bad they were last year um, that you know, Miami's offensive line obviously was really struggling a year ago, and everybody was kind of commenting on how just how bad it was. And I thought they were improved, but now you know, the more games that kind of pass by here, especially in the ACC schedule, the more I'm realizing that Miami's offensive line—the only reason they looked better—is because they were playing a lesser caliber opponent in the first few games of the year. Now they're getting into um, more athletic defenses, and this offensive line looks every bit as bad as they did a year ago. So Miami's offensive line's a real problem. Brad Kaya is getting killed back there. Offensive line, even in run blocking, hasn't been very good, obviously. Mark Walton and Joe Yearby have really struggled. They were a little bit better on Saturday, but a lot of it was due to, once again, Notre Dame kind of giving them 
the ball in favorable situations for the running game um, and uh, deep in Notre Dame's territory. So, yeah, I mean, Miami's offense is a real concern. The defense is even bigger concern. Kaiser pretty much had his way there, especially in the first half. A um, couple big-time slant routes he hit, just real easy three-step drop and, and hit a guy going full speed across the middle. Miami had no answer for it. Um, they, they were able to tighten it up to their credit in the second half and make it interesting. Notre Dame did everything in their power to give this game away, but ultimately they were able to to slug it out and win, win um, and find a way to win there late. So a good win for Notre Dame. They really needed it. And like you said, Miami is just a really, in a really bad way right now. We give you some numbers here on this Notre Dame defense. First of all, you said it's gotten better the last few games. It's kind of impressive what happens when you fire Brian Van Gorder. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> um, so tackles for loss. Through seven games, Notre Dame had 34 tackles for loss. The high was against Syracuse, and they had seven. This game they had 12 against Miami. Let's talk about sacks. Through six games, they had three sacks on the year. And, yes, you heard me right. Uh, it took them until the last game of September to even get a sack. Against Stanford, they had three. Against Miami, they had five. So they almost doubled their sacks total in this game alone. Yeah, Miami's got some real problems here. Uh, this is not good. And you start to wonder how much like the mental state is playing in here. Uh, you wonder about the defense a little bit. The... The Fighting Irish were able to go for about 400 yards on offense. Uh, 148 on the ground is kind of saying something, especially against a, a Miami defense that has otherwise been reasonably stingy this year. Um, so the fact that now they're starting to give up a whole bunch of yards makes you wonder if if they're still playing at full capacity or if they might have quit a little bit. Uh, I don't really know. Uh, this is this is bad for Miami Mike. Um, they're They're in a bad spot here, and... Luckily, they should be able to still make a bowl game given what they have left on the schedule. Uh, Pittsburgh, Virginia, NC State, Duke. You have to think that at worst they go 2-2 two and two across that stretch, but I don't know. I don't uh, they've, know, Mike. They've had, um, they've had a lot of issues you know, with injuries in their front seven. Uh, I think some of that's obviously contributing to the issues they've had on defense, uh, especially in the last month or so. But by the same token, I mean, you got to find a way to replace those guys and and play well. I think the offense is putting a lot of pressure on the defense because you're just not getting a really consistent play out of any portion of your offense right now. Offensive line's not blocking well. Kaya is getting killed. The running game's not performing well. And that's a lot of pressure on injured defense. So when you combine all that together, it's real tough for for Miami here, and it has been here for the last month or so, but to your point with the schedule they have remaining they should make a bowl game i mean i think it's it's more likely than not they'll go three and one in their remaining games um two and two probably at worst should make a bowl game um uh, you know as far as whether or not they've been really improved here in the first year with mark rick i mean i think that's you know that's for fans of the team to uh kind of digest and sift through here as the season starts to wind down but um, there have been some bright spots for Miami this year, and there have been some down times here, and we're kind of in a swale here for the Hurricanes, and hopefully they can get out of it so they can build some momentum towards next season. In fairness to them, this has been a brutal October schedule for them of Florida State, North Carolina, at Virginia Tech, at Notre Dame. 
But the last two weeks have been this defense's worst outputs on a yard-per-play basis all year, and it's not even close. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they've been a little beat up. Um, but even even still, I mean, when they were beat up before, they seemed to be holding up okay against some really good offenses. Um, and make no mistake, I mean, Notre Dame has a really good offense as well and kind of has all year. It's just, uh, yeah, I don't know. Not good for Miami. Can we talk some more about Notre Dame's special teams gaffes in this game? <laughs> My yeah, goodness. Yeah. Me, hold on. Let me go pull up Yakety Sacks real quick here before we get this started. My goodness. Yeah. It's It was, uh, yeah, it was real What poor. was that? C.J. Sanders dropping a punt inside the five. A partially blocked punt. Um, field goal issues. They had, um... They had one punt where the ball hit one of the blockers and ended up being Miami's ball before half. Miami went in and scored. Um, you, you know, and it wasn't just on special teams. Notre Dame had the ball down at the two-yard line of Miami with about two and a half minutes to go going into ice the game, like score a touchdown, put the game out of reach. And they fumbled, and there were about three or four Miami defenders around the ball. Somehow Notre Dame got it back and ended up kicking the field goal that decided the game. So that could have been catastrophic as well. So there are still, I mean, this is not a good Notre Dame team. I mean, I don't want to, I don't want anybody to get confused. I mean, yes, the defense has played better, but they're just so inconsistent in all three phases. That the running game is still non-existent. They have a lot of pretty good running backs, um, you know, in the stable there. None of them can ever seem to get going. Josh Adams is really good. Tari and Folston's a good player, and they have Dexter Williams as well. None of the three can get going. Um, Kaiser has been inconsistent. A lot of it's due to up-and-down receiver play. Some of it's due to the offensive line not blocking as well for him. Defense has been bad all year. I mean, this isn't a good Notre Dame team um, by by any stretch. And, of course, the special teams issues that they've had seemingly all year long. Notre Dame, to be bowl eligible, has got to go 3-1 and one against Navy in Jacksonville, Army in San Antonio, Virginia Tech at home, and on the road at USC. Even with this, uh, even with this win against Miami, I mean, I still think they're going to have a really hard time getting to a bowl game. Yeah, I think two and two at best in this stretch, especially with as much better as USC has been playing lately. Notre Dame might be in for missing a bowl game altogether, and that is, man, that's hard to stomach if you're a Notre Dame fan. I mean, it looked better than it did a week ago um, because I didn't think they would beat Miami. And they did. So I guess it, from that standpoint, if you're a Notre Dame fan, it's like, hey, at least we beat Miami. But uh, then the Navy, I mean, yeah. But I mean, the Navy and the Army games are not going to be easy. Uh, those are those are two games they could absolutely lose. Um, and I, I don't think they will. I mean, I think they'll find a way to win both of those. But that the issues are going to come against Virginia Tech, even though that game's at home. Virginia Tech, I think, is going to provide a lot of issues because they're really good at stopping the run. They can make Notre Dame one-dimensional, and Notre Dame's defense is going to have a lot of issues covering all of Virginia Tech's really good receivers. So I think that's going to be problematic. And like you said, USC is playing really well right now. They have been for about a month, um, even though they've lost three games. I mean, they're, they're a team that's definitely improving week to week, and that won't be an easy game. It never is anyway, but they have to go on the road against USC there, go out to Southern California last game of the year and play them in L.A. I mean, that's going to be a really difficult game for them. Fighting Irish 30, Hurricanes 27. Mike, I told you that we can't be playing college football 
on days when I have weddings, and more importantly, I can't have people scheduling weddings on days where there are college football. So let me tell you how my weekend went. So I was in Atlanta this weekend for a wedding, and the wedding started about 5.30, so with the Georgia Tech game starting at noon, Eastern time, of course, uh, I went to a bar to go watch the game. And so as I was doing so, yeah, I was kind of able to monitor that as well as this next game we're going to talk about, both of my, my favorite teams. I just don't know why nobody prepared me for this and told me this is going to be freaking heart palpitation Saturday for both of these teams. First of all, the Louisville Cardinals 32, Virginia 25, thanks to some late-game heroics from Lamar Jackson. Virginia scores a touchdown with about a minute 30 left, goes for two and gets it to give them a 25-24 lead. And Lamar Jackson, of course, going to go play spoiler, have his own Heisman moment, leads the team down the, down the field with a beautiful touchdown pass to seal the game. Um, this is a game where it felt like it was like Lamar Jackson and I don't know who else he brought with him because Lamar Jackson was excellent. 24-41 for 361, four touchdowns and a pick, 17 carries for 88 yards. That's a pretty good stat line. Everybody else did... I'm not really sure what, and it was that was really what kept Virginia in the game here. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I, I think uh, the one thing about Louisville when when watching this game is Lamar Jackson played fine. I thought the defense uncharacteristically struggled against Virginia's offense, which didn't make a lot of sense because Virginia's offense has been okay, but there, there's no reason for Smoke Mazzell to run like he did as as hard as he did, and for um, Kurt Benkert to, to play the way that he did um, against Louisville's defense has been pretty stingy this year. I mean, that was obviously problematic. I thought Louisville offensively, outside of Lamar Jackson, they didn't provide much of anything. Um, James Quick dropped at least two or three passes deep down the field that would have gone for touchdowns. I mean, this game could have been a three or four touchdown spread easily, um, and that was Ve- that was what Vegas was suggesting anyway. And um, the, the receivers just didn't really show up to play for Louisville. Um, obviously, Lamar Jackson was able to redeem the whole thing late and throw a beautiful touchdown pass, um, you know, with, with less than a minute to go. But it was a really, really strange game. I thought Louisville left a lot of opportunities. We're, we were talking about, you know, Tech leaving opportunities. Notre Dame obviously left some opportunities out there. Louisville left just as many opportunities out there as any of those other teams that we talked about earlier, um, having, having the receivers drop the passes that they did. But... You know, they, they came through when it mattered most. Uh, but, you know, my initial thought there, Virginia obviously fighting valiantly at home. I mean, that's that's really good. If you're Bronco Mendenhall, you can recruit to that. Even though you lost the game, you could say, hey, we had Louisville on the ropes. Um, I, you know, this has kind of been a theme with the Cardinals. I, I thought, you know, their game a few weeks ago against Duke was a, a lot of the same. Um, they, they come out, they don't play necessarily as well as they want to offensively. They leave a lot of opportunities out on the field, and then, Maybe the defense struggles a little bit more than you expect, and all of a sudden they have a ball game on their hands against a team that, you know, they realistically are much better than. Um, and I thought that was the that was the problem again for Louisville on Saturday. But give credit to Virginia, um, especially with with some of their play calling, especially in the red zone. I thought that um, the play calling, specifically in the red area, was really good. Um, ben Kurt, I thought, played pretty exceptionally um I, I thought he was really good one of his best one of his best games at virginia so far i thought 
Um, and the offense is really clicking on all cylinders. Obviously, a gutsy call is pretty pretty easy. If you're Virginia, you've only won a few games this year to go out there and go for two against a team that is much better than you are. But for Bronco Mendenhall to have the guts to make that call and not play for overtime, I think that was that was the right decision, no matter you know if they were able to convert there for two or not. But Virginia was able to and take the lead briefly, and the defense just couldn't hold. Lamar Jackson had his Heisman moment, so to speak, even though that you know he probably should have you know uh, thrown for like 500 yards and four or five touchdowns, and this game should have been out of reach already. He had his Heisman moment, you know, kind of saving the Louisville season, so to speak, and uh, I thought that was good too. So a lot of good things. Uh, with the bad for Louisville in this one and for Virginia this is something you can build off of recruiting even though you didn't end up pulling the game out I gotta say Mike I loved in a totally unbiased way I I loved the decision to go for two there Um, I think that in those situations where you're kind of coming from behind a little bit and you you're playing against a team that you know is better than you there is no value to extending the game any further. If you've got a chance to go out and make a play to win the game, go do it. Go do it. Um, yep. So I like that call to go for two. Obviously, it worked out for at least on a temporary basis. Louisville obviously comes back and wins the game, but uh, I like the decision from Bronco Mendenhall, and, and definitely am a big fan of those aggressive and play to win the game kind of decisions. I, I'm just. I didn't get a chance to watch this game start to finish. I'm just really curious, looking at the box score, how on earth this was such a close game. Louisville outgained Virginia by almost 200 yards. There was an even turnover margin, and Louisville had 10 more first downs in the game. The big thing that sticks out to me looking at this is Louisville was 3-for-12 on third down. That's real bad. Uh, And credit to the Virginia defense for, for helping out with that as well. Louisville also seven penalties for 68 yards. That's not very good either. Um, so, yeah, I mean, all the stats would scream that this should have been a blowout. I guess it's just Virginia making plays when it counted and, and Louisville not. Yeah, um, and, and when it came down to it, um, for Louisville to drive down the field on that last drive after things really hadn't been going their way all afternoon uh, speaks to the gutsiness of Lamar Jackson to – come down the field, not only make plays with his arm, but kind of make a couple plays with his feet too. Um, able to scramble for a couple of really nice gains there as well. So, uh, look, Lamar Jackson, as advertised, the, the final throw of the game that he made, putting it right on the money. Uh, beautiful fade route right over the shoulder there. and uh, He's just a big-time player. It it's really speaks a lot to Jackson's ability now as a passer. Um, something, uh, part of his game that really wasn't there a year ago. And now it is, and it's uh, it's really fun to watch because the potential has always been there for Lamar Jackson, but to see him kind of tap into it and make the throws that he's making in pressure situations really speaks to how much his mechanics have improved, and uh, we saw that again on Saturday. So Lamar Jackson obviously leaps and bounds ahead of what he was last year, and I thought he was really good last year as the season went on as well. The Lamar Jackson touchdown counter is now up to 38 on the year, Mike. That puts him 25 short of the all-time single-season record set by Mr. Colt Brennan of Hawaii back in 2006 uh, with 63, so we'll keep the folks updated on that. But yeah, Lamar Jackson, the uh, the Lamar Jackson Heisman hype train is alive and well and still on the tracks, especially after he brings his team to a late win, so good to uh, stay alive if you're Louisville. Cardinals 32, Cavaliers 25. Let's talk about the other game that totally just... <laughs> Gave me, like, a heart attack. Oh, uh, man. Georgia Tech 
Goes up 28-7 at halftime. Defense comes up with some big stops in the first half, created two turnovers and had two fourth down stops, and all was well. 28-7 over Duke at halftime, and next thing you know, it's like the middle of the fourth quarter and Duke's up 35-31 because that Georgia Tech defense is kind of a train wreck right now, and thankfully for them, Justin Thomas had like the game of his life. Uh, That was the Walter Camp Player of the Week. Uh, won some big-time awards this week for a huge game where he had over 400 yards of offense both through the air and on the ground, four touchdowns. Um, like I said, I mean, it's a good thing that it's a good thing that Justin Thomas had a really good game because there wasn't a whole lot of anybody else on Georgia Tech's team that really did here, Mike. He threw the ball really well. It's it. I'm telling you, Justin Thomas can throw. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> you've been talking about you've been talking about it for a while. I just he's not a prototypical pocket passer, so it was really hard for me to get behind it. But there's nothing more I can really say. I mean, he made all the throws on Saturday that they needed. Um, a good win for Georgia Tech. I mean, God, the defense is just a nightmare, though. Because um, this offense that they were playing against is just not very good. Um, Duke is a weird... I, I still don't really know what to make it Duke. It's, it feels like the same storyline for like three or four years. Like, A, what team is going to show up for Duke? And B, what is their identity? Like, I don't really know what it is. Um, they're a really weird team to figure out. They still somehow find a way to put points on the board, which is still really hard to get used to. But Georgia Tech's defense was just really, really bad in the second half. Uh, it's good that they were able to find a way to win and avoid that loss. I just... It would have been really hard not to blame the coaching staff. It was pretty inexcusable how they came back. You know, we saw the same thing happen to Notre Dame, you know, seeing Miami get back into the game. And there were a couple of games like that this weekend where it's like, oh, okay, this game is well in hand. And, oh, okay, I flipped over to another game for like five minutes and flipped back and, you know, the tables have completely turned. Uh, that's what happened here. Uh, it would have been pretty inexcusable for Georgia Tech to lose, but they, they found a way to get it done late, so... Uh, Justin Thomas, like you said, pretty much the game of his life. I mean, he w- he was fantastic running and throwing the football in this one, and that ended up being the difference. He was, in my opinion, the, on- the only player, like if you had to point to one player on the entire Georgia Tech team that brought it from start to finish, I'd look no further than the quarterback. Uh, he was spectacular. Justin Thomas had an 82-yard touchdown run. He had two other carries of over 45 yards in this game and in a couple of clutch spots late. Um, so that was huge. Meanwhile, like you mentioned, the, the defense in this game, The so the second best game of the year, Mike, you remember how bad Notre Dame's defense looked against Duke, right? Yep. Duke went for 498 on 74 plays for 6.73 yards per play. 559 on 73 plays against Georgia Tech. That's 7.66. They were a yard better than they've been against anybody else all year against this Georgia Tech defense. That is a disaster. This was about as bad as Georgia Tech's defense has looked all year, and they had better hope that Justin Thomas can keep playing at this level that he's playing at right now because if not, this thing's going to go south real quick against teams like, I don't know, North Carolina and Virginia Tech who – have arguably the two best offenses in the ACC right now. So that's really a big problem if that can't get fixed any better. I mean, the the big problem that was discussed around this was communication, getting the play calls in in time and making sure everyone knows where they're supposed to be. 
you know, things I would kind of hope they figured out by, like, November, um, but... Or training camp, yeah. Yeah, it's like, oh, okay, well, now it's it's up, up-tempo up teams that are kind of giving them problems. Well, you know what North Carolina and Virginia Tech are? They're up-tempo teams. Yep. Yeah, so this is going to be bad for Georgia Tech unless something changes in a, in a big way here soon. Um, Duke continues to put in these gutsy efforts and give teams problems and hang around in games and in weird ways it kind of feels like they might have deserved to win this game in a lot of ways um so i don't know if they're going to be able to make that happen down the stretch they've still got virginia tech north carolina as well as pittsburgh and miami they've got to find a way to win three of those if they're going to be bowl eligible and i just don't think that's going to happen at this point brutal Um, schedule yeah this is a rough year for the blue devils um they also lost Jayla Duncan in this game towards Achilles celebrating a touchdown. That sucks for him. Uh, that's a big loss for, for the Duke offense, especially from a talent standpoint. So looking like it's going to get worse from here if you're Duke. Um, I don't want to say that Jayla Duncan was like 90% of their athleticism on offense, but he was like 90% of their athleticism on offense. I mean, he was pretty much it. Uh, you know, playmakers for Duke pretty hard to come by on offense and you know you lose him celebrating a touchdown that's really tough to swallow led the team in rushing yards and rushing touchdowns was second in carries only to Sean Wilson that's a big loss for Duke and and you hate it for the kid I think he's had some injury problems in the past as well so I believe that ends um, his career effectively I believe he's a senior so yes it does yes it does um so yeah not good for Duke um, and I don't think any Georgia Tech fans at this point are on their high horse about this game anyways. But when you watch your team blow a three-touchdown lead, man, uh, thankfully you won, but it doesn't make you feel any better about yourself. Yep. Now it's, uh, I don't know. They'll, they, they're going to have to figure out a way to, to keep it rolling here, but... Yeah, I don't know if you're if you're Duke. It's obviously uh, tough to lose. Tough to lose one of your top performers on offense. If you're Georgia Tech, it's tough to have your defense perform the way it did. So I'm not sure any team is coming out of this game really pleased with themselves. So Justin Thomas should be pleased with himself. That's about it. yeah. I mean that's about it. If you're going to point to one guy, I mean that's he's it. God bless you, Justin Thomas, savior of this program right now. Georgia Tech 38, Duke 35. Mike, the Boston College Eagles. God damn it. Getting Boston that, College. Getting that basketball conference bump from Dan Rubin coming on the program. Getting on the board in conference play. Eagles 21, NC State 14. Now, I don't want to rain on the parade here. This is a huge win for Steve Adazio and Boston College. But, Mike, does this game tell you more about Boston College or about NC State? That is an excellent question. Um, I don't think we really learned anything about BC, honestly. I think, if if anything, we've learned more about North Carolina State in the last few weeks. Um, you, you know, their their first four games, what, they had wins against William & Mary, Old Dominion, um, someone else. They lost to East Carolina which at the time looked like an aberration because they went out and and NC State was able to beat Notre Dame. But now you're looking at it, you're like, okay, Notre Dame A is not very good. B it was 10-3. to 3, C it was in a monsoon. If Notre Dame is able to throw the ball in that game, what happens to NC State? Uh, 
you look at that, then you, but then on the other hand, you look at the Clemson performance. You're like, okay, maybe NC State's got a little bit of something going here. You know, um, they they didn't because then they get demolished by Louisville, and they turn in their worst performance of the year against Boston College. Um, I, I just for Dave Doran, he's in a lot of trouble. Uh, you know, I, I thought that he was in a position about three weeks ago to save his job, and now I, I don't think there's any way he keeps his job because this thing has kind of turned south on him so quick. So, I don't know. When looking at NC State, I think they're the team that we've obviously learned a little bit more about. Boston College, I think, lucked out here. NC State had a couple of oppor- opportunistic turnovers there that led to some uh, some great field position for Boston College and put them into some um, favorable situations here and ended up impacting the game, but yeah, I mean, I didn't really learn anything about BC. I think they lucked out. The offense still wasn't very good. I thought defensively they played fine, but um, uh, yeah, I, I learned more about NC State. They're not nearly a- as good as I thought they were, um, and they're not really as improved as I thought they were. So uh, NC State's in trouble. Dave Doran's in trouble. Uh, sky's falling in Raleigh. Uh, it's going to be a really rough offseason if they don't turn it around. I think Doran's job is in great jeopardy here. It's interesting how the, how fast these things can go for teams like this. NC State was 4-1 and one going into a game against Clemson in Death Valley where they clunk a field goal at the end of regulation to send it to overtime and eventually lose. In the two weeks since, they got torched by Louisville 54-13, and now they become Boston College's first conference win in almost two years. That's rough for NC State, and you wonder, I mean, this is a a hard just nosedive at this point. You wonder if they can pull out of it. Boston College, on the other hand, came into this game and had a a clear game plan and seems to have executed it extremely well. Uh, They held the ball for over 36 minutes of this game. That's a pretty big, you know, 12-minute differential. That's pretty good. Uh, Boston College was excellent on the ground, 168 yards on 44 attempts that's only about four yards per carry but you know still that's pretty consistent not bad uh overall went for close to 400 yards of offense which is a lot more than we're used to seeing a minor miracle a minor miracle yeah and maybe most importantly of all nc state could not get anything going on the ground at all um they only had about 48 yards on 20 carries between Matt Days and uh, Nigel Hines. So, or Naeem Hines, excuse me. Um, yeah, this is, a, this is a good win for Boston College. I mean, there was never a point where anything in particular, you know, fluky happened. Boston College just kind of hung in there. Uh, they got on the board first. They kept with NC State the whole game, scored late to, uh, to to seal up the win. So Defense played really well for BC against the passing and the run in this game. Yeah. Good on you, Boston College. Getting on the board and, and making us all look silly. Right, Mike? Yeah. I'd rather not talk about it. But, yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah, that happened. Yeah. I don't know. I kind of hate this for Dave Doran in a way. Like, I feel like he's building something at NC State maybe. But he's also in a really tough spot just in who's in that division and everything like that. So um, it's, it's, it's a, tough for NC State. It, it's not necessarily an attractive program to take over. I mean, you you have a really good fan base there. But that's a really tough division. I mean, forget about conference. It's a really tough division to recruit into when you're facing Louisville, Florida State, Clemson every year. Um, and this is 
you, you know, for Dave Doran, they were able to get some athletes in there. I mean, uh, you th- you think of the one guy, obviously, Matt Days has been really good. Jalen McClendon was one of the top quarterbacks in his class, um, but he's not even the starting quarterback right now. So uh, NC State does have some talent there. It's it's just a really difficult job to recruit to um, because what are you selling other than maybe the fan base? I mean, it's and maybe a chance to knock off the big boys in the division. At four and four, NC State needs to go two and two down the stretch to make a bowl game. You're finding two wins at home against Florida State, on the road at Syracuse, at home against Miami, on the road at North Carolina. Uh, yeah. I mean, they could. Um, I think home against Miami is like the pivotal game. Uh, yeah, I agree because I think they can beat Syracuse. I, I think the the Miami game is pivotal for sure. Um, if they don't beat Miami, they're not getting there. I mean, they're going to lose to Florida State. Yeah. Among those four wins right now, better win. 10-3 at home against Notre Dame in a monsoon or 33-16 at home against Wake Forest? I think the Wake Forest one's better. So if you're Dave Doran, you're going into November and your best win is against Wake Forest. Yep, you're in trouble. It's not a good look. Yep. Not a good look. I mean, what do you think? Do you think Wake Forest mm-hmm. or Notre Dame? It's tough. I mean, Notre Dame's got more athletes. Wise, yeah, Notre Dame's got more athletes. I guess it depends on how you look at it. Yeah, I mean, you want to look at like brand and all of that. I mean, you take the Notre Dame win every right. time. Yeah. But just for pure like performance. I mean, it, at the same time, I mean, you can look at the Notre Dame win and say Doran outcoached Brian Kelly in that game. I mean, that's oh, that's yeah. a good look. Right. Well, I yeah, you can. I think that's an argument Dave Doran actually has in his favor because. I mean, Brian Kelly just continued to try to throw in Hurricane Matthew. It made no sense. I'm sure it made sense to somebody. Uh, Maybe. Yeah. Maybe to him. Yeah, I wonder if it made any sense to the guy that matters, like, you know, Jack Swarbrick, the athletic director at Notre Dame. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> uh, we'll know that answer soon enough. Man, what I wouldn't give to be on a fly on the wall of that discussion. Oh, boy. Anyways, Eagles 21, Wolfpack 14, Eagles on the board in conference play. That is good for you, Boston College fans. I'm happy for you. And finally, Wake Forest, what have you done? Uh, Bad game plan. Really bad game plan is what they did. The Army Black Knights, 21. Wake Forest, 13. A game that I don't... uh, You're at home against Army. This is a game that you win every year. We've talked about that Army's better this year, but they're not... Better than you, Wake Forest. Come on, Stephen Deacons. Turn the ball over three times, John Walford. Get it together. I'm officially off the Stephen Deacons bandwagon, Joey. Did I give up? Who's Did I quit gonna, on it? Who's conducting the hype train if not you, Mike? I know. I, I think I've quit on it. John Walford was really bad in this game. This is the prime example of why John Walford shouldn't throw the ball more than, like, 30 times, let alone over 40 times. Three interceptions... I just didn't get it. They have Kate Carney in the backfield. They didn't give him the ball enough. Um, a, a lot of the guys uh, for, from Blogger So Dear, the Wake Forest blog on SB Nation, they're talking about, hey, you actually have a competent running game. Why aren't you, I don't know, running the football? It didn't <laughs> made no sense to me. Um, John Walford is not a guy who can, who can throw the ball that many times and be successful. I think he's proven that now in the better part of two and a half seasons. But for whatever reason, the game plan in this one was, hey, we're going to sling the ball around a ton against this Army defense. I mean, I don't think Wake Forest would have had a ton of trouble running the football. I, I know they had a little bit of issues getting things going early 
in the running game, but I think if they stuck with it, they would have broken through. I mean, they do have better athletes there than Army does. I think it would have paid off for them. They quit on that run game way too quick, in my opinion, and I think it cost them the game. Wake Forest snapped the ball 66 times in this game, and it was almost 2-1 to one passing to rush. It, does, it, just, it doesn't make any sense. What are you doing? Like, this is, like, almost, you know, maybe not quite as extreme, but this is a little bit like Georgia Tech trying to throw the ball 40 times in a game. Like, any of us would be confused watching that. I mean, that's just not what you do. And this isn't the identity that Wake Forest has built. Um, obviously, I'm taking this a little hard. They were my pick of the week, and I take, you know, take that a little personally. But totally abandoned any sort of, you know, reliable game plan here. But, yeah, this is a mess... I don't know how a Wake Forest team that runs the ball that well gets outpossessed by 12 minutes. They only held the ball 24 minutes in the game. Army had it for 36. Um, man, this is another game that I, I'm sitting there at a wedding, like trying to get service to just get updates on my phone even, and I kept getting, oh, yeah, Wake Forest turnover, Wake Forest turnover. It's like, come on, John Walford. I, this game frustrated me, Mike. And we were finally, lot. yeah, we were finally talking about how Wake Forest had, like, established an identity. You know, we're going to stop mm-hmm. the run, we're going to run the football, and then mm-hmm. they actually, you know, to their credit, they they stopped the run relatively well against Army. I mean, compared to what Army has been doing to some teams, uh, albeit lesser opponents than Wake Forest this year, um, you know, to Wake Forest's credit, they did stop the run for the most part, but they didn't run the football. It just, yeah, uh, this is the type of thing that, Look, look, Clawson's not going to lose his job over this because Wake Forest, nobody expected him to be where they're at. I mean, Clawson's a guy who um, is probably in running, I don't think he'll win, but is probably in running for Coach of the Year in the ACC, and deservedly so for the most part. But this game plan just didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I mean, if they if they run the ball more in this game, they win and they're bowl eligible. Um, I think Army can or Army. I think Wake Forest can still get there, but... Um, to, to lose this game, obviously, uh, is a pretty major blow to their bowl hopes, uh, even though they're sitting at five wins. Possibly a coincidence, possibly not. Wake Forest is now 0-3 this year in games in which they run the ball less than 34 times. Uh, they have got no touchdowns, and they had 21 carries against North Carolina State, 32 against Florida State, 23 here against Army. Those are their three lowest Att- you know, rushing attempts totals on the year. They have no touchdowns in those games. They have no wins in those games. Don't be something and, you're not. Just run the ball. Yeah, don't try to outsmart yourself. I mean, just yeah, man. Yeah, one thing I'll never, I'll never personally be accused of is being too smart because I'm not. But don't outsmart yourself if you're, if you're one if you're, if you're, if you're Coach Clawson, Don't outsmart yourself. Run the freaking football. Your quarterback's not really any good. Just run the ball. Like, nobody, nobody on this podcast has ever claimed that John Wolfer's any good. I mean, run, just run the football. That's what you're good at. Stop the run, run the football, become bowl eligible. It doesn't seem that difficult to me. Mike, I don't think anybody's outsmarting themselves on this podcast, if we're being very honest with ourselves. <laughs> In fact, not outsmarting ourselves might be a good, like, tagline for the, uh, the slogan for this podcast. Anyways, we got to move on. Okay, last two things we got to do here to wrap up week nine. The Go ACC moment of the week, and it's hard to pick just one of Notre Dame's absurd special teams antics, but my goodness, that was as deserving as anything we've seen here. Yeah, so some specific 
play is called out. Obviously, the play in the second quarter where ball goes up off of a blocker in, the, in a punt return, and Miami's able to capitalize there and score a touchdown. That was a big swing in the game right before the half. Um, obviously, C.J. Sanders' fumble in the second half was pretty large. Um, Notre Dame having a punt get partially blocked in the second half, that was pretty significant. So Notre Dame had a bunch of special teams blunders in this game. Uh, the C.J. Sanders fumble, of course, uh, was picked up and run back for a score that, um, you know, really pulled Miami within reach there against Notre Dame. So that was, you know, probably one of the bigger moments of the game. But, um, yeah, Notre Dame's special teams has been bad now for a few weeks. I mean, they've had a, a lot of good plays, in especially the return game this year. But for every good play they've made in the return game, either punt or kick return, they seem to equally screw it up somewhere else on special teams so uh go acc moment of the week goes to notre dame special teams we can't pick just one play so we're just gonna lump them all into one mike we're, we're recording here tuesday night after some technical difficulties earlier in the week if it's me if i'm the coach in notre dame right now cj standards is still running stadium stairs right now as we record this podcast yep. My, the in a tie game, you let a punt bounce and then ran back inside the five-yard line and botched it, and Miami recovered to take the lead. Like, if that's not the most boneheaded special teams play I've ever heard of, well, I'm sure we could find a better one. But, oh, my goodness gracious, C.J. Sanders. Like, you, you've got to be better than that. You've got to be smarter than that. I mean... What year is CJ Sanders now? Got, I mean, he's been around for. I believe he's. Years, I believe. Right? Yeah, I believe he's a junior. Man, you're a junior in, you know, FBS Division One football. Like, oh, he's a sophomore. Just kidding. Still, like, come on, man. Like, you gotta be smarter than that. Like, that is that was something. I don't know how you let that happen. Go ACC Notre Dame. Get those uh, special teams. Get that special teams nonsense in order. That is. That is crazy. Yeah, that'll be a start to becoming a better team. Just do the little things on special teams. Speaking of Notre Dame antics, we got to get to the Brian Van Gorder Memorial You Tried Award. I'm still working on like what my favorite transition into this is going to be. But in any case... We'll have many. Uh, yeah. So it's hard to pick any, uh, any one player or unit here uh, from any specific team. And instead, we're going to kind of pick a, a conference-wide unit Let's talk about the ACC referees here for a second because, man, there were some shenanigans this weekend. Um, obviously, Jimbo Fisher, like we said, got fined and, and was real mad on you know on his post-game press conference, upset about some calls that were made late in that game. Uh, we forgot to mention that uh, Pat Narduzzi was also fined. He, he had some total meltdown moments on the sideline in that Virginia Tech-Pittsburgh game. There were some weird calls all throughout the weekend. I, I should mention, too, uh, Duke was called for its second penalty of the game at about the 10-minute mark in the fourth quarter. So through 50 minutes of football, they'd been called for one penalty, which just, you know, that seems a little unlikely. So the ACC referees are of varying quality depending on, you know, when you're looking at what crew. But this weekend they seem to be kind of exceptionally bad, Mike. Yeah, and, and you know, I thought Pat Narduzzi and Jimbo Fisher, they could have both handled themselves a lot better. Pat Narduzzi especially, what he was doing on that sideline. Um, Jimbo Fisher cursing out the referees on the sideline on national TV obviously isn't a good look either, but Pat Narduzzi, 
encouraging the crowd to boo, throwing his headset over literally every single call going against Pittsburgh. I mean, act a little bit more mature, man. Like, some of the calls are actually justified. I'd argue that they actually, the officials missed most of the calls that actually should have been made against Pittsburgh in this game um, and against Virginia Tech as well. Um, uh, the lack of consistency in the, in the Virginia Tech-Pittsburgh game I thought was a major problem. Uh, especially with pass interference. I mean, initially it looked like, okay, hey, they're you know they're letting them play. Um, a, a lot of hold, you know, defensive holdings. They they really let go, and if you're gonna let those go, that's fine. I mean, do that. Um, but then there were some ticky tack calls later. Uh, one specifically in the end zone, Greg Stroman got called for defensive pass interference on a third down and and nine at about the 12-yard line, and, and Pittsburgh was able to set up shop inside the 10 there and, and punch it in for a touchdown. That was a crucial moment in the game at the time. So there were some ticky-tack calls there defensively. As far as the Florida State game is concerned, obviously Jimbo Fisher wasn't very happy with the block below the waist. I, I'm not sure if block below the waist was the correct call. I thought it might have been more of a hold. I mean, the, the ankle of the, of the Clemson defender was grabbed there. Um, by the Florida State offensive lineman uh, springing Dalvin Cook loose, and Jimbo Fisher lost his mind. And Look, I mean, the officials, the coaches have a right to complain about the officiating because it was so inconsistent in a bunch of the games this weekend, but by the same token, I think the officials also need to be held accountable. So um, our Brian Van Gorder Memorial U Tried Award goes to the ACC officials for uh, literally you have one job. Just do it better, you know? Uh, just do it a lot better moving forward. Be consistent. We could even say you tried to maintain order in some of these games, and that didn't even go too well either. Uh, Mike, have you ever been an official in any sort of sports capacity? No, I'm really happy I haven't. I, I'd be too big of a hypocrite, man. Like, I, I just... 90% of the sporting events at some point, I'm booing the official, yelling at the official. It'd be too hypocritical. I umpired baseball in high school, and I told people that I I was pretty bad at it, and part of the reason was I was too humble, which sounds weird, but when you think about it, if I go up to tell the coach, hey, I might have blown that call, I'm sorry about that, that doesn't really make them any happier about it. Um, so that was kind of a mess. Even though we're talking about, like, t-ball, peewee, like, first half of elementary school level baseball here. Um, so, trust me, I know they got a hard job. It's not easy, um, but... Still, you kind of hope that they could do a little better than this. Um, and honestly, it would probably help if uh, either, A, we go to your idea before of uh, full uh, nationwide referees instead of conference-specific, or if we go to uh, even just paying these guys like it's their full-time job. I mean, it seems like there's kind of a lot of money in college football, so that seems appropriate, right? Do something. I mean, I, I don't know. The, the whole conference-affiliated refs, that just doesn't make really a whole lot of sense to me. I'm not sure. I mean, I mean, obviously something has gone through a pipeline here that's, you know, encouraged them not to change it, right? I mean, it's been this way for a while, and they haven't really looked into seriously changing it, at least seriously considering it. So, you know, I, uh, I, I think they should move maybe to a more uniform, um, maybe a, a more uniform judgment of the officials i think that would go a long way instead of having conferences kind of decide the discipline i think you have varying levels of discipline it kind of holds all the officials to varying standards even though the rules are the same which doesn't make a whole lot of sense so there are a couple different things they can do i think that's one major part of it yeah 
we can deep dive that in another podcast at some point. I, I think that'd be a good kind of off season topic to hit on and explore some ideas and everything else. But uh, Mike, that about wraps it up for week nine. This is this was a crazy week. There was some weird stuff that happened, but it seems like I'm finally out of wedding season. So I think we're uh, <laughs> we're good to go for the rest of the year on, uh, on getting some good football in on these Saturdays here. Uh, yeah. So ladies, just any other season's good, you know. Winter, spring, summer. Like, if you have to get married, just do it another time. There's eight other months a year other than the ones between Labor Day and Christmas. Yeah. Fall is just never good. Yeah. Especially in, like, Georgia where it doesn't actually get cold so the leaves don't change or anything like that. Like, just just do that in, like, March or April or something. Yeah. It's, like, pretty similar weather and football's not on, so... Mr. Skelton, if you're listening to this, don't hate me. I had fun. It was a good time. Glad I was there. Had a lot of fun. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I didn't. I didn't personally have fun. I wasn't there. But you had a lot of fun. (laughs) Yeah. 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 You had fun. I did have fun. It was a good time. I enjoyed it. I was glad I was there. I also like watching football, but you know, it's fine. All right, Mike, we got to get out of here. That does it for week nine. Uh, We'll be back. Really, we're going to probably try to post this as soon as we can after we're done recording it, and we'll probably be back at some point on Thursday with our uh, Week 10 preview. Luckily, we don't have any Thursday night action here in the ACC, all of it on uh, Saturday this week, so uh, we'll have some time to get it up before all the action starts. But, uh, Mike, look forward to, uh, to doing this preview recap, pre- preview episode with you, wow, uh, here in the uh, coming days. Yep, sounds good, Joey. All right. Well, that'll... That'll do it for us here. For Mike McDaniel, I'm Joey Weaver. Until then, go ACC.